You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. text for today's message comes from the Gospel of Matthew. This is the same text we've been using for the last couple of weeks, and today we're going to wrap up our series on the Beatitudes of Jesus. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word to us this morning. God, you describe for us today what is the happy life, what is the the blessed life, and this is a question we all wrestle with. God, I pray that as we, we dive into your word, God, that you would reorient our perspectives. God, that you, are, you would turn our worlds upside down as you show us and reveal to us and paint a picture of what the good life in Jesus Christ actually looks like. So bless our time here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I can't see the confidence monitor. I don't know. If, I can't see the confidence monitor at all. Maybe it's just off or something. Um. So here is a question for you to consider. If if you were to ask the average person on the street, you were to walk up to them and say, hey, what do you need to be happy? What is it in life? What is that thing that if you had it, everything would be okay? That your life would be happy. My guess is you would receive all sorts of different answers. Can you hear me okay? Am I coming through here? My guess is you would receive all sorts of different answers. Be happy. Well, if I could get that 401k right up to to the point where family would feel secure, then I'd be doing all right. Or maybe if I could get that, that promotion that I've been seeking for so long and I could finally get the recognition from my peers and the, the salary that I've always dreamed of, then I would be, then I would be good. Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's that, that particular home with that acreage that you want. And if I could just get that, then I will have arrived. Then I will be happy. 
you. It would be something more along the lines of healing, right? Like I've got this family member is really, really sick right now, or maybe I'm really, really sick right now, and I want God to heal me from that, and if I had that, then I would be happy. To reflect a little bit on how you would answer that question, what is the thing you need to be happy? There's this thing called the pursuit of happiness, and in particular in America, where we're all entitled to the, the life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, Right? Now, the pursuit of happiness, it sounds like a, a wonderful, beautiful kind of thing, right? It's a, we actually have the opportunity to do this. But in another very real sense, the pursuit of happiness is relentless and it is utterly exhausting. Because happiness is something everybody wants, but nobody is quite sure how to get there. And so people their entire lives pursuing different avenues that they think will bring them. And so, well, well, I'll try this way for a while, and maybe you get to the end and you find out what I wanted, and so, well, I'll, I'll try this avenue instead, and I'll pursue happiness in, in this direction. By the time you're, you're done, you realize that none of them actually give you what it is that you're, you're, you hoped you would arrive, you don't actually get there. And so it's kind of pursuit where we're going after something that is always out of our reach. So happiness is what we're talking about today. And another thing about that is even when we do think we have arrived, even when we hey, I finally got there, like this is the thing, and you get there and you start to feel a little bit maybe, okay, you realize, okay, maybe there's something else out there that would make me a little content. Or we start looking around and measuring ourselves and our our level of happiness relative to other people. And we think, okay, well, well I'm happy, yeah, but, but how happy happier? And so it's this kind of pursuit. Now, the question we approach when we're asked, when we are approaching this topic of happiness, is what it seems self-evident. What do I have to do be, to be but this morning, as we're wrapping our sermon series up on the Beatitudes of Jesus, what we discover is that Jesus flips this entire question on its head. And instead of asking, what must I do to be happy? This instead paints a picture of what the good life looks like in Jesus Christ. So instead of saying, what must I do to get my best life now? Jesus says, here is the good life that I make possible. And then he goes ahead to paint a picture of what that is, of what that looks like. So we've been walking through each of these Beatitudes week by week. There are nine of them. So we talked about the first three. And then last week, we talked about the next. How Jesus tells us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right they will be satisfied. In other words, blessed are those who lack righteousness, right? Because hunger and thirst, these are not things that we sort of work ourselves up into a frenzy in order to get hungry and to get thirsty. We are hungry and we are thirsty by what? A lack. That means I'm 
hungry. I don't have water. That means I'm thirsty. I don't have righteousness. That means I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the righteous, are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. This is another one that we discuss. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Merciful meaning someone who is compassionate, someone who is able to enter the shoes of someone else and to identify with their situation, to really empathize with them. And we as Christians are called to live this sort of life where because Jesus came and entered into our shoes and sympathized and empathized with us in our weakness, we are called to go and do the same for others. Finally, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And pure in heart, not so much in the sense of the people who do lots and lots of good and really want to do lots and lots of good, but more in the sense of those who have been purified from their sins, whose hearts have been given in Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see So today we're covering the very last three of the because the last two kind of go together. Seven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's interesting to me as we walk through this time in the, in the calendar year after year, how busy everybody is, how busy we end up being, right? And Thanksgiving and Christmas in particular are these seasons that are supposed to be, they're known for being these joyful kind of seasons where like peace is sort of overflowing. But then all of a sudden, we look at our calendars and our to-do lists, and we're like, okay, got to buy the Christmas presents, check. Got to base that turkey, check. Is that a thing? Do you base turkey? Okay, good. I'm not speaking from experience here, clearly. Um, Got to get all the shopping done. Got to get that Christmas letter out the door. Heaven help you if you do not get your family's Christmas letter out the door on time, right? There will be consequences for that. So the idea of, of peace, it sounds all well and good. It sounds wonderful, but the reality is that peace is something that during this time of year in particular, we really seem to lack. Now, the idea of being a peacemaker, that probably seems very appealing to us. Say, okay, well, yes, we should all be peacemakers. Peace is something that we as Christians are called to. world and kind of a peace, love, and happiness sort of thing, right? Just, just that there's no... Uh, you know, conflict and, and live a life where uh, you're free from, from all that sort of stuff. So it, it can be easy to think of a peacemaker in kind of this unrealistic, idealistic sort of But here's what a peacemaker actually means. A peacemaker is someone who seeks to reconcile warring parties, people who disagree. So a peacemaker is less like a peace, love, and happiness hippie sort of slogan and more like a debate moderator kind of thing, right? Where you're actually entering into a difficult situation where there's conflicts between different people, where there is pain, where there are difficult questions that need to be addressed. 
problems and conflicts in relationships. And rather than kind of just glossing over that Minnesota thing that we do where we like kind of pretend it doesn't really exist and then hope it'll go away by ignoring the problem, right? That works well for all of us. And so peacemaker, a prerequisite for that is conflict. So it takes a willingness to address the elephant in the room. This is what it really means to be a peacemaker, to be someone who seeks after peace. And so there's actually a, a great cost to this. Let, let me say first, though, that being a peacemaker and being a people pleaser are not the same thing. Okay? I don't know if anybody else here but I have people-pleasing tendencies. I don't want to disappoint anyone. I want everyone to think well of me all percent of the time, right? And so I, I would seek to kind of avoid conflict. And, you know, rather than risk offending someone, I, I would prefer not to go in that direction. You know what's funny is the place where this manifests most clearly is when I'm ordering food at a restaurant. Because I preface, I, I, I notice this about myself, I tend to preface every phrase with, would it be okay if? <laughs> All right, if I got some more water for my glass. Like, if it wouldn't be trouble, uh, can I get some salt or some extra ranch dressing? As if, like, I'm going to whose job it is to do this for me, right? I want to be thought I don't want them to be inconvenienced on, on, my, on my part. But being a people pleaser means you seek to avoid conflict at all costs, whereas being a peacemaker means you are actually willing to enter those difficult situations and have those hard talks, have those difficult discussions in order to bring peace. Because peace doesn't come until there's usually an increase in conflict to begin with. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, this is ultimately our calling. And the reality is that to be a peacemaker high cost. There is going to be a cost to be a peacemaker. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get bloodied. But this is what Jesus actually does for us. Colossians 1, 19-20. For God was pleased to have his fullness, to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's speaking of Jesus Christ here. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is peacemaking. This is the kind of peacemaking that we're talking a peacemaking that is willing to pay the price, to, to take the hits and to take the blows like Jesus did for us, you and me, on our behalf. At the cross, reconciling us to God, taking these parties who from each other and drawing them together. Blessed children of God. Last two Beatitudes, I'm going to take these together. And why don't you read this here out loud with me? Please, please join with me. You can see it on the screen. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What are you when people insult you? Blessed. What are you when people persecute you? What are you when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you? Not offended, not angry, not wanting to retaliate. Blessed. You are blessed when this is. Now, here's the thing we have to be really careful with the way that we use the word persecute. Because in our day and age, it's easy to take the living context that we do here in America. And I've heard people say, are, are persecuted here in the United States. We have a lot of discernment in the way that we use that term. Um, the reality is that many people are experiencing persecution on a level that we cannot even understand. Um, and so here is, this is just a kind of a silly example of the way that Christians often claim that we are persecuted. Maybe you remember this. 2015, Starbucks did this thing that got particular tradition, particular groups of people in conservative Christian circles in an uproar, like you would think the apocalypse was coming. What they did was, you can see the cup in 2015, around the holiday time, Starbucks always changes their cups to go from white to red, right? And they have these, they've, historically they've had different holiday decorations on them, so you can see there's a Christmas uh, you know, there's, a, there's some Christmas decorations and some snowflakes and then a snowman. So sort of Christmas-y. Well, when it got to 2015 and they just had the red cup, to some people this was a declaration of war against Christianity. Like, this is the worst thing possible. This is Starbucks' war on Christmas. They're out to get the Christians. They're out to, to destroy us and to persecute us because they have a red cup. Now, I don't know why we would expect Starbucks to be Christian to begin with, so I don't know what, whose expectations are being destroyed there, but it is important that we, when we, we speak of persecution, that it's not just something, some term that we throw around really, really uh, tritely. But this word, it does have a very broad kind of meaning. This word persecution, it doesn't necessarily just mean physical persecution. It doesn't mean that and bloodied in order to be considered persecuted, right? Because there are relational ways in which you experience this. Ostracism, things like that. There can be economic ways persecution can occur because you're a Christian. You may not be able, in particular places in the world, to participate in the economy in the way that you would be because you may be These are very real ways that persecution often happens. Now, we live in a time described as post-Christian. And I think there is some truth to that. It can be a bit alarmist. I think there is some truth to that. 
post-Christian meaning in the sense that we now live in a time past the period in history when Christianity was at the center of things. When Christianity was this huge shaping force and influence. There was a particular day and age when that was the case too long ago. Now we have moved beyond that. Not the same as saying Christianity no longer matters. Church no longer are just as spiritually hungry now as they always have been. But is, is different. And I think when most of us look around the cultural landscape and we see this happening, we see the kind of post-Christian world that we live in, our reactions, at least myself, my knee-jerk reaction is to, is to say, man, what do we got to do to get things back to the way that they were? What do we got to do to get back to the good old What do we have to do to, to return to this time when Christianity was at the center of culture and was this huge sort of... And we kind of mourn, and, and we seem to be very shocked when Christians are, are pushed to the fringes, which is really interesting because God makes it abundantly clear that Christians will be persecuted. That we will be pushed to the fringes. We should not expect to be holding the positions of power that we enjoy and that we see to be in a privileged position. No, God says, as my followers, you will experience trial. You will experience trouble. You will experience hardship. And so it shouldn't shock us when persecution happens. In fact, John Stott has this to say. He says, we should not be surprised if anti-Christian hostility increases, but rather be surprised if it does not. Because if you're not being persecuted, then you're not doing anything worth persecuting. Right? And so it shouldn't surprise us when suffering occurs. In fact, anything about suffering for righteousness, for the sake of Jesus Christ, is that it's like a stamp that marks us out as followers of Jesus, as disciples. It's a confirmation, in fact, of who we are, of our identity. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, suffering is the badge of true discipleship. Suffering is the badge of true discipleship that we wear around. And so it's interesting, in our passage this morning, where Jesus tells us, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted. Why would he say something like that? Well, he gives two reasons. One is that great is your reward in heaven, right? In the sense that the temporary sufferings and pains that we go through and we experience life compared to eternity, it is like a drop in the bucket. There's not even a comparison to. You just, you just can't, right? The sufferings, the, the pain, however intense they may be, they will not last, whereas eternity lasts forever. So that's reason number one. Reason number two, he says, in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we think of people like, yeah, 
Or the prophet Jeremiah, who was thrown into a cistern, who was put in the stocks and beaten for the sake of Jesus Christ. And we look back at great heroes of the faith, and we can say, look, we have we have this in common. And, and the fact that suffering and even persecution, that is a, a mark, that is a reminder that I am part of this larger family of, of believers, of the church. So that can rejoice, and that is why we can be, not because we suffer, but because of the results of the suffering, right? What the suffering brings about, what the suffering produces. So as we wrap up this morning, I'm going to do what we've been doing the last few weeks. I want to read through these Beatitudes in a different translation. It's not actually a translation. It's a paraphrase called The Message, written by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And here's, here's what he says. Here's how he summarizes these last few Beatitudes. He says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time People put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth's too close. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. And then listen to this. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. Isn't that good? see these beatitudes which can seem so very different from one another they can often seem like they are these individual virtues that we want to pursue but the reality is there's a unifying force that draws all of these together because i want you to listen closely to the second half of a number of these beatitudes because there's the, the blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But then it says four, right? Four. So I come to, to what comes after that four. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ, when he came, inaugurated, he identified himself as the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Who is the source of all hope and all comfort? It's Jesus Christ. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Who will be set up on his throne when the new heavens and the new earth come? And we can worship him forever. Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for fulfilled. Who is the source? of satisfaction and who fulfills all of our desires all of our longings that is Jesus 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Who is it through his life and merciful death, suffering and resurrection from the cross and from the showed us mercy? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who is the only one who has ever seen God? The Gospel of John tells us that is Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Who is it that has this title, Son of God? Jesus Christ. Blessed are those because of righteousness, for they are the kingdom of heaven. Again, we're back to Jesus. Every single one of these is just another way of pointing to him. Happy are the ones who Jesus. You want to summarize all of these beatitudes, that is a good way to be are those who And so it turns out that the skeleton key that unlocks the door to happiness is Jesus Christ himself. It's not a thing, it's not an answer, it is a person. He's that key that everyone I want to close today with this quote from Augustine. And my hope is that this would be our prayer as we consider the happy life, the blessed life in Jesus Christ. He says, this is the happy life and this alone, to rejoice in you, about you, and because of you, Lord. This is the life of happiness, and it is not to be found anywhere else. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.